Welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm your host, Pat Wright, on my own today, working on our third presentation of these special one-hour shows. And today's show is going to focus on Hector Berlioz's Symphonie Fantastique. If you don't know much about Berlioz, and if you've never heard this music, you're in for a treat. I will try to be succinct today (laughs) because this symphony, in fact, is nearly an hour long. But there's information I do want to give you to help you understand the context of this work and the time period in which Berlioz is writing. If you listened to our last one hour episode, you know we talked about Beethoven and his work as an individualist and his work in really thinking independently about the music he wanted to give to the public, to express his emotions in all their rawness, and the transition really from a classical perspective to a more romantic perspective. Berlioz is a generation younger than Beethoven. Beethoven was born in 1770 and Berlioz was born in 1803. Worth noting, however, that Berlioz is a huge fan, a huge admirer of Beethoven. In addition to his admiration for Beethoven, the other artist who really caught his passion was Shakespeare. Early 19th century in Europe was a time of Shakespeare revival. It it fit nicely with the romantic ideas that were popular at that time. And Berlioz is nothing if not a complete romantic. And this symphony fantastique truly is an expression of that. If you've heard of or know the story of the sorrows of the young Werther, that that sprang to my mind as I as I learned the story behind the Symphonie Fantastique. It is this unrequited love, this longing for the woman that he has seen and he idealizes. Berlioz first encounters, she doesn't meet him, but he sees her on the stage, the object of his desire, Harriet Smithson who he always called Henriette Smithson, even though she didn't particularly like it. She was Irish, and she was a Shakespearean actress, but with her Irish accent, she wasn't going to do terribly well in England. So she made her name riding this wave of enthusiasm for Shakespearean plays on the continent. And Berlioz was 23 when he first saw her on stage in Paris in an English-language production of Hamlet. She was playing Ophelia, of course. And... It, it's like those images where Cupid's bow pierces his heart and he is completely infatuated and obsessed with her. It's his longing for this woman who honestly doesn't give him the time of day, at this point anyway, that inspires this music in the Symphonie Fantastique. Just a tiny bit of background on Berlioz. His father was a provincial doctor and he expected his son to go into medicine as well. In fact, Berlioz went to medical school. He was repulsed by the human cadavers that they had to encounter in their training, and he pretty much gave it up out of his revulsion, and he followed his true passion, which was music. He didn't come from a musical family, so he didn't grow up playing lots of instruments, say, the way Beethoven did. He was largely self-taught, And that's part of what freed him up from the conventions of the time period. He wasn't bound by them because they hadn't been drilled into his head from a young age. When he was in Paris, he took advantage of all the great artistic opportunities that were there before him. He attended the opera and 
was completely in love with the form and the power and the emotion that opera could produce. And it's a little while before he writes his first opera. There are three operas. There are three operas predominantly that we talk about when we talk about the operas of Berlioz. In fact, Les Toyens we did here on Opera for Everyone. That was his great, huge, huge opera. You can find that on our podcast, episode 59. You get to hear a little bit more from Berlioz and a little bit more about Berlioz. And now let's listen to a little bit more of this first movement of the opera, Reverie, where our young tortured artist is dreaming of this beloved, perfect, idealized woman that he has found. This is where Berlioz introduces what he calls the idee fix, this fixed idea, this theme that represents the woman he loves and his love for this woman, this incredible passion. And this idee fix will appear in all five movements in various ways, interacting with the other things that are going on in the story. This is Reverie.
listening to Opera for Everyone and our special one-hour program. Today is on Hector Berlioz in his Symphonie Fantastique. You heard some of the first movement embedded in there, and in fact all five of the movements, is this idée fix, this musical theme that, that represents his beloved and his passion for her. I have just a few little quotes from him that I think convey this sense of this romantic, tortured artist that he was or saw himself and and seemed to kind of enjoy being. Uh, That's my read into this anyway. He says, I wish I could calm the feverish excitement. This is in a letter to his father. I wish I could calm the feverish excitement which so often torments me, but I shall never find it. It comes from the way I am made. In addition, The habit I have got into of constantly observing myself means that no sensation escapes me, and reflection doubles it. I see myself in a mirror. So he's self-consciously suffering. He also writes to his father, who finally makes peace, by the way, with the fact that his son has given up medicine and law, which he also suggested later, and has, has plunged headlong into music. And the same year that this premieres in 1830, he does win the Prix de Rome, where he is allowed to go study in Rome, and that is paid for, and he gets a stipend for five years. He continues on with his father, I see that wide horizon and the sun, and I suffer so much, so much, that if I did not take a grip of myself, I should shout and roll on the ground. I have found only one way of completely satisfying this immense appetite for emotion. This is music. There we have Berlioz in a nutshell. (laughs) So he is totally passionate about this woman who essentially doesn't know he exists at this point. The premiere of this piece takes place in December of 1830 at the Conservatoire, this prestigious musical academy in Paris that he he does end up attending after having snuck into the library while he was a medical student. He's so passionate about learning music, he really does do a lot to teach himself. He is finally accepted into the conservatoire, but around the time of his graduation, he submitted a different piece which wins him the Prix de Rome. But this same year, December of 1830, is when he premieres the Symphonie Fantastique. And it is very much looked forward to because he's already made something of a reputation for himself. And and here are some of the luminaries who, luminaries and future-to-be luminaries who attend this performance. There's Franz Liszt, Frédéric Chopin, Niccolo Paganini, the writers Alexandre Dumas, Théopold Gautier, Victor Hugo, Georges Sand. It's quite an illustrious group of people. As a result of this program, which was repeated later on, he does finally meet Harriet Smithson. And in 1833, they were married at the British Embassy in Paris. Truth be told, it was not a happy marriage after a few years and after a few years, but truth be told, it wasn't a happy marriage after a few years. But that's all in the future as far as this piece is concerned. This is the period of intense longing and idealization. Absolutely romantic with a capital R. Let's listen to some of the second movement of the Symphonie Fantastique, which is called A Ball. He's deeply hopeful about this 
passion, this obsession for this woman working out, but a man's got to live. And so he tries to distract himself by re-engaging in society and not just going out and staring at the clouds and the trees. He, although there is some of that, (laughs) he goes to a ball. And this piece is magnificent because it is this interweaving isn't even the right word but it is this it is this dual play of waltz music representing the ball and what's actually happening in his life and this ide fix this theme which was presented initially in the first movement and where he is at the ball and and you can picture it he's surrounded by by revelers by dancers by people having a lot of fun But just as when you're in that situation and you're really obsessed with something else, his mind goes back to this this woman who he doesn't seem to be able to get close to. And so you hear the Ide fix breaking in and this this back and forth, more or less. It's an interior monologue and the exterior situation. It was brilliant and it was recognized as such at the time and completely unconventional.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, and that was the second movement of the Symphony Fantastique by Hector Berlioz. So our hero has tried to lose himself in a ball, but he is constantly reminded of his beloved. And now we get ready for the third movement where he tries to lose himself in the country in the true fashion of a suffering artist of the Romantic period. I'm just going to take a moment to mention Franz Liszt once more. He was one of those people who attended the 1830 premiere of this piece, and he introduced himself to Berlioz after it was all over, and the two of them began a lifelong friendship at the end of that particular concert. In fact, Franz Liszt is the one who has transcribed the symphony for piano. Franz Liszt was a piano virtuoso, and he's an interesting person in the world of opera, not that he's an opera composer himself, but he pops up in relation to a number of different composers, not least of which is the fact that his daughter married Richard Wagner. That's an aside. (laughs) So now let's go back to the countryside where we find our hero in the third movement of Symphonie Fantastique. This is this scene in the country movement, and hope remains with our hero, and we get a sense of being out in this beautiful countryside, and you'll even hear a brewing storm that enters into this scene where the hero is, and a little bit once more of that ide fix of that melody of his beloved.
That was the third movement of the Symphonie Fantastique by Hector Berlioz. And things are going to get interesting now. (laughs) I mean, I know they've been interesting already, but they're going to get unusual, unconventional, and they will grab your attention. And oh my goodness, did they grab the attention of his original audience in 1830. So this last movement saw our hero out in the countryside trying to restore his inner calm and that storm tells you he wasn't entirely successful with that and now he's going to find another way to calm himself. I'm going to read from the program notes that Berlioz himself wrote. He says, convinced that his love is spurned, the artist poisons himself with opium, the dose of narcotic while too weak to cause his death, plunges him into a heavy sleep accompanied by the strangest of visions. He dreams he has killed his beloved, that he is condemned, led to the scaffold, and is witnessing his own execution. Kind of reminds you of that comment he wrote in the letter where he was watching himself from the outside. Berlioz continues, The procession advances to the sound of a march that is sometimes somber and wild and sometimes brilliant and solemn in which a dull sound of heavy footsteps follows without transition, the loudest outbursts. At the end of the march, the first four bars of the Ide Fix appear like a final thought of love interrupted by the fatal blow. That's Berlioz himself telling us all of that. This is truly a story that he is entirely illustrating with symphonic music. It's operatic without the singers. So this piece, part number four, is called March to the Scaffold. And I think it's fair to say you can picture if if you've ever seen a film depicting the French Revolution and people being brought to the guillotine in the little carts over the cobblestone streets and the crowd jeering, we are in the inner world of this artist's mind. And it's a turbulent world. (laughs) March to the Scaffold. Part 4 of Symphonie Fantastique by Hector Berlioz.
The artist in Hector Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique has just had this hallucinogenic dream witnessing his own execution. That was the the sound you heard being depicted. Hard to believe, but it gets even more intense and and more extreme in part five. This part is called A Dream of a Witch's Sabbath. He continues with his hallucinations, his imagination of all that is happening, and he is hopeless about this love he had so embraced and romantically nurtured in the beginning of this piece. And here he sees himself at a witch's Sabbath. As Berlioz himself wrote in the program, the artist is in the midst of a hideous gathering of shades, sorcerers, and monsters of every kind who have come together for his funeral. Strange sounds, groans, outbursts of laughter, distant shouts which seem to be answered by more shouts. That's all depicted in the music, by the way. <laughs> he continues, the beloved melody appears once more. That's that ide fix that represents his beloved. But the melody has now lost its noble and shy character. It is now no more than a vulgar dance tune, trivial, grotesque. It is she who is coming to the Sabbath. Roar of delight at her arrival. She joins the diabolical orgy. And Berlioz goes on to explain that you have this threesome of things going on in the music at the same time. The funeral knell is tolling. And there is a burlesque parody of a hymn typically sung in funeral ceremonies of the Catholic Church. And along with this, there is the Dance of the Witches, which, of course, the Beloved has joined. So this final portion of the symphony is this fantastic, fantastical depiction of this orgy of celebration of the defeat and the falling apart of this artist who is tortured in his passion for this woman who he pictures being part of the cause of his death and part of the celebration of his death. This is an exquisite depiction of the romantic imagination and a somewhat autobiographical picture into what is going on in the mind of Berlioz himself in 1830. I'm happy to report, although the love life of Hector Berlioz was far from smooth. Many good stories there that we won't get into now. There is much, much great music yet to come after 1830 from Hector Berlioz. And now the fifth and final movement of the Symphonie Fantastique, Dream of a Witch's Sabbath.
That was Symphony Fantastique by Hector Berlioz. Thanks for listening to today's special episode of Opera for Everyone. Opera for Everyone is a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for everyone. This has been a special one-hour episode focusing on the work of one composer who also wrote operas. Join us for tomorrow's show. That will be focusing on Tchaikovsky and his fourth symphony. And if you've missed any of this or want to check out any of our other shows focusing on single operas, please look for Opera for Everyone on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.